Hi, friend. Thank you so much for downloading this podcast. And it is my sincere hope you'll hear something that will encourage, edify, equip, and then get you out into the marketplace of ideas. But before you listen, I'm going to tell you about this month's Truth Tool. My Truth Tool is offered to anyone who gives a financial gift to In the Market with Janet Parshall. And this month, I've chosen the book, Connecting the Dots, What God is Doing When Life Doesn't Make Sense. Ever been there? Of course you have. We all have been. Sometimes we think we're walking in circles, and we're wondering whether or not God has left us, we've walked away from Him, what in the world we're doing if we're even in the center of His will. So this book is designed to help you find peace and confidence in your current challenge. And all of us have challenges. It also will make sense of most of the lessons you're learning right now. And the most important part of this and why I felt this would be appropriate is because it will help clarify in your mind the unique mission and message that God has given to you. So the book is called Connecting the Dots. It's yours for a gift of any amount. And all you have to do is call 877-JANET-58. That's 877-JANET-58. And give a gift of any amount, and we'll send you a copy of Connecting the Dots. If you prefer to do it online, that's easy as well. In the market with JanetParshall.org. Scroll to the bottom of the page. There's the cover of the book. Click on through, make your gift, and again, we'll send you a copy of Connecting the Dots. Just below the picture of the book is a description of what it means to be a partial partner. Those are people who give every month a gift of their own choosing. They set the level of giving. I don't. But they'll always get the truth tool. And in addition to that, a weekly newsletter that goes out as well. So consider being a partial partner or getting a copy of Connecting the Dots by calling 877-JANET-58 or online at inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. Now please enjoy the program. Here are some of the news headlines we're watching. By the time the conference was over, the president won a pledge. So Americans worshiping government over God. An extremely rare safety move by a major... 17 years of Palestinians and Israelis Hi, friends. Welcome to In the Market with Janet Parshall. So glad we're going to spend the hour together. Fair warning. We're going to do some deep biblical thinking this hour because I think the evidence is all around us that we are seeing a kind of growing ambiguity when it comes to the issue of human sexuality, whether it's same-sex attraction or transgenderism. And we're starting to see bedrock solid institutions, colleges and ministries that have now sort of changed their perspective and they've nuanced language and words and somehow taken the category of any sexual activity outside of marriage, which God defined and instituted, a man and a woman, and somehow any sexual expression outside of that is just an alternative. When that's not what God said, he called it sin. You know, nobody likes the the truth part. Everybody runs to the love part because who doesn't want to be affirmed and valued and loved, right? But his love is meaningless without his law. Remember, Jesus didn't negate the law. He fulfilled the law. And so we have to figure out in what is a growing tension between the church and the culture, how we're going to address this in biblical truth, but always through a grace narrative. Is it easy? Absolutely not. But hey, God's called us to this. So I'm not going to retreat. I want to be obedient. I want to show up, but I want to be honoring of our king and the way in which we do this. So one of the ways we train for these battles is by having great warriors who teach us how to do this. And one of the most compassionate warriors on this topic that I know is a man I have had the privilege of calling a friend for not years, but decades. I, for the first time I ever had the opportunity to spend time with Joe Dallas, I was struck immediately that 
how difficult that faith, that passage in Ephesians is about speaking the truth in love, that A, it wouldn't be there if God didn't tell us that we could do it. I can't do it on my own, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, that it's doable because of what, what Christ can do in me. And number two, that it develops spiritual muscle because there are going to be times when we blow it. There are going to be times when we have to go back and say, Father, give me another chance. I did not do that right on my own life. This is my testimony. Ooh, you know, sometimes we're heavy on the love and weak on the law part. And then sometimes we're heavy on the law and we fail to deliver it in a loving fashion. So how do we do it? And now we have this concretized example in the issue of human sexuality to really try to figure out how we do this. So Joe is someone who just does it beautifully over and over and over again. He writes prolifically on this topic. He speaks at conferences. He's an ordained pastoral counselor. He's got a wonderful biblical counseling ministry that deals with exactly this issue. He sat it in California for years and years and years. He's got a master's degree in Christian counseling. He is a member of the American Association of Christian Counselors. He's got a daily blog called Joe Dallas Online. He's authored multiple books on human sexuality from the Christian perspective, including Desires and Conflict, the game plan when homosexuality hits home, the gay gospel, the list goes on and on and on. And now he's got a brand new resource. I cannot wait to tell you about pastors in particular that he's made available because like me, Joe is seeing the ambiguity that's all around us. So Joe, the warmest of welcomes in advance. Thank you for something I can't return. It's the gift of your time and certainly the wisdom that you're going to give us. So greatly appreciated. But let me go back to my assessment and see if you confirm. And it's a rhetorical question because you do or you wouldn't be writing and speaking and offering these resources. So let me ask the question this way. Why the drift? It doesn't seem to be a lot of ambiguity in God's word. In fact, 20 years ago, if you and I were having this conversation, we would have seen a devolution in the culture. We never would have seen it in the church. Now, we see waffling, a First Kings 18 limping between two opinions kind of thing going on in the church. Why now and why is it happening? You know, Janet, I think sometimes we, um, we have lost, I sometimes think I should say, we've lost our sense of what our commission here really is. Mm. Uh, it, it is as if we are saying in so many words that our primary responsibility is to make people feel good and to get along well. And nobody wants to get along more than I do, Janet. I don't <laughs> like fights. <laughs> you know? I, I, I'm really tired of all the social media nonsense where you feel like you're on the schoolyard again in seventh grade and somebody's saying, fight, fight, come on, everybody watch. You know, yeah, I, yeah. I think contention is just exhausting. And I think it's kind of weird if you like that stuff. But <laughs> that said, you know, we, we've got to get back to what the Great Commission is really all about. And it is essentially about communication. Jesus said, go and preach and make disciples. You don't do that without communicating clearly. And let's underline the word clearly. If we don't have clarity, then we're basically communicating Christianity as possibly a way to live a better life, a nice kind of a way of doing things, when in fact, it's a life or death message. You're either dead in sin or you're alive in Christ. And if you're alive in Christ, you are expected to, just as Jesus said, take up your cross, deny yourself and follow him. Now we're getting awfully vague about that, Janet. So sometimes I really think the, a, a person who did not know much about Christianity would not really know what the church is here for because our message has gotten, as you said, ambiguous. And here's what it reminds me of. Paul told the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 14, 18, if the trumpet makes an uncertain call, who's going to prepare for battle? Mm. 
And I think that the church is giving out a very uncertain message on homosexuality and transgender, among other things, but certainly on those two issues, and, and as you said, human sexuality. So I think that we are leaving the world we are supposed to reach with truth without a clear message of truth. And even among ourselves, we're getting more and more divided, Janet, between believers who are saying we've got to be clear, we've got to be bold, we can't compromise, versus many believers. And I'm not talking people you know, people who are wildly to the left and liberal and, you know, out there, you kind of expect that of them. But mm -hmm, no, I'm mm -hmm. talking about respected evangelical leaders who are, what else can I call it? Waffling. Mm -hmm. Just yeah. simply waffling. Exactly right. That's exactly right. So I want to I want to open the phone lines because I know that this is not just a conversation about what's happening in churches. The same waffling can be taking place around the dinner table with a family member. And I want you to ask Joe the question that you've been struggling with on this issue because every single one of us have intersected with this issue. I, I, I didn't see this coming. I never thought that the question of identity and its tie back to sexuality would show up at the front door of the church. But then when you think about it, Really, our identity is what being a follower of Christ is all about. Who I am in Him. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But the life I now live in the flesh, I live through Christ Jesus who loved me and gave His life for me. There's our identity. So really, identity is at the heart of Christianity. But our identity is in Christ. Back after this. What if those times you felt like you were walking in circles were really God's way of leading you to his plan for your life? That's why I've chosen Connecting the Dots as this month's truth tool. Learn how to make the most of the lessons you're learning now. Ask for your copy of Connecting the Dots when you give a gift of any amount to In the Market. Call 877-JANET-58. That's 877-JANET-58. Or go to inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. So our phone number is 877-548-3675. I'll say it again, 877-548-3675. And I want to give you a chance to ask of Joe Dallas questions that you have about this issue of human sexuality, whether it's same-sex attraction, whether it's transgenderism, what you do if it's a child that shows up and says, hey, I'm gay, someone who says, I want to invite you to my wedding. I mean, all of those questions show up in a myriad of ways and all the time, quite regularly now in this culture. So as a follower of Christ, to go back to that wonderful question that Dr. Francis Schaeffer asked us long time ago, how then shall we live? And we've got, thank you, Lord, his word to illuminate our path in these troubled times. Joe Dallas, author, conference speaker, ordained pastoral counselor, prolific author, got a blog, Joe Dallas Online. And Joe, I want to, and I want to repeat this several times so that people know that you've got this resource now for something you call the challenge. Tell me about it. Yeah, well, it is just that, Janet. More than ever, we need our pastors. And I believe that the pastors in the body of Christ, by and large, want to be effective stewards of truth, faithfully shepherd their flocks, speak to the culture as well, prophetically do what needs to be done. What I've set up then is a monthly Zoom meeting, which is free for any pastor or ministry leader, uh, in which we're going to talk about ministry approaches to people who are affected by homosexuality or transgender, which I guess is all of us, Janet, like you mm -hmm. said. But, mm -hmm. you know, so many pastors, they're in a, a, a position that's tough because you know, nobody saw this coming, just like you said. So in seminary, people didn't think we're going to have to offer courses on how do you counsel the transgender person who comes right. to your church? Right. How do you counsel the gay couple who want to be baptized? 
How do you counsel the struggler? How do you counsel the parents who are devastated when their kids come out to them? So we're going to take a half hour for teaching once a month where I'm going to talk about specific ministry approaches. How do you as a pastor counsel someone in your church who wants to overcome homosexuality or a parent who has a daughter who has said, mom, dad, I'm now identifying as a man. How do you respond to the pro-gay interpretation of the Bible? How do you develop church policies in your own congregation to make your position clear and protect yourself against any misunderstanding for people who are joining? How do you do it in a balanced way? There are a lot of new situations coming up. Uh, Janet, within the churches that, again, we're having to develop new policies and new responses. It it almost reminds me of the Jerusalem Council, Mm -hmm. where they said, well, hold it now. We didn't see this coming. What do we do now? How do we respond to this group of people we didn't see? I don't want to compare sexual sin to race, because it was Gentiles coming into the kingdom then, praise God. We praise God for transgenders and gays and lesbians who come to our churches too, but we need to know, how are we going to specifically respond when they say, will you baptize me? Can I join the church? Can I be in leadership? Will you perform our wedding? How do we deal with parents? How do we deal with congregation members? So this service is for pastors. Every month, we're going to take a new topic, like this coming month, we'll be talking about how do you counsel parents who have had a son or daughter come out to them. And we'll be talking about how do you establish youth ministry? How do you talk to children in church about these issues? We'll take a half hour for teaching and then a half hour for questions and Q&A. We've got already uh, 320 pastors who've signed up. We've got 16 different countries represented so far. And we'd love to have any pastor or ministry leader join us for this. We really feel it's a time to, to be strengthening our leadership more than ever. Because I believe what what I've told you so many times, Janet, as someone who had to struggle with this issue himself, mm-hmm. the greatest healing and help I got came from within the local congregation in the body of Christ, not the parachurch ministry or the counselor, which I believe in. I run a parachurch you do ministry. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so I guess I better. However, I know that the real work that no parachurch ministry or counselor can do is done within the local congregation, with the shepherd and the people in the flock who are ministering to the person who's struggling. So my whole goal is to strengthen and and work with pastors who are wanting to strengthen their ministry approaches in this area. That's why we set this up. Joe, I cannot tell you how excited I am about this. And I'm going to ask a rhetorical question again. Why hasn't someone done this before? I'm not going to look back, as Paul said. Let's press on. Thank you for doing this. And again, any pastor, any ministry leader, and I've got a link in my info page. Okay, so you it's it's once a month. It's a Zoom connection. And just look at the numbers of people that are responding, because these questions, if they haven't shown up yet, First of all, I'd be shocked if they haven't, but if they haven't, give it about a minute because it will show up and you're going to want to know the best way biblically to be able to negotiate these kinds of conversations. So go to inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org and go to the information page. And on the right-hand side, it says sign up for the challenge. Uh, And there's a subscribe page on Joe's website as well. I've got a link on his. So either way, go through his website or go directly to the link that I've got for the challenge because this is a way, as Joe says, to ev- to provide effective pastoral strategies for ministry to the, on this issue of LGBTQ. So I, I'm going to remind our friends also, if they have questions, 877-548-3675. I always have so many questions for Joe, but I want you to jump in too, because this is an issue that just hits all corners of the church. 877-548-3675. Joe, you used a word I think it's so apropos. You call it reductionism. Explain Mm -hmm. how that gets contextualized in this particular topic. 
Man, that is one of my biggest concerns on this, Janet. You know, we've talked before about revision, pro-gay theology, revising the Bible to justify homosexuality. That's a pretty obvious one. At least you can see it for what it is. Reduction is different because the reduction approach basically says, well, yes, homosexuality is a sin, but it's not a significant issue. We don't have to divide over it. We don't have to be too adamant about it. We can agree to disagree. So it's a doctrinal issue kind of like the rapture of the church. Is it pre-trib, mm-hmm. mid-trib, post-trib? We're not going to break fellowship over that. We would never tell somebody, no, we cannot uh, have you in leadership if you hold to one of those three views on the rapture. Of course not. That's what the reduction movement is trying to do. And I got to tell you, Janet, some very big names within the body of Christ have been speaking what I would call a reduction message, where they're basically saying, well, yes, you should go to a same-sex wedding with a present, or yeah, it's okay to have openly gay speakers in my church. That's what I mean when I call it the reduction movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, this agree to disagree. No, it really, does, does the scripture give us the license to be able to say this is one of those agree to disagree topics? I don't think so. And we'll get into that more. Joe Dallas is with us. Again, I I could be very selfish because I have so many things I learned from Joe, but I want you to get your question answered because we're all going to deal with this or are currently dealing with it. 877-548-3675. We have such a wise counselor. Ethos and pathos are two words I would use to describe Joe Dallas. That's what he brings to this topic. 877-548-3675. We'll continue right after this. Talking with Joe Dallas, who's an author, a conference speaker, an ordained pastoral counselor. He has a wonderful ministry in California. He's been doing this for a long time. It's a biblical counseling ministry for those dealing with sexual and relational problems. And he's got a blog, Joe Dallas Online. He writes multiple books, all of them, every one of them I would recommend to you. I don't think there's one, I hope not, that I've missed in all the years that Joe's been writing. But also, pastors, ministry leader, don't forget, he's got a new resource out called The Challenge. It's a Zoom meeting once a month, 30 minutes he teaches, 30 minutes he takes questions, and it really helps you negotiate these stormy waters surrounding all of these LGBT issues that are out there. You were talking about reductionism. So some of this is is basic, but I want to give our friends a chance to get their calls stacked at 877-548-3675. Um, I made the statement echoing what I heard you say that this is not a, a, well, we'll just have to agree to disagree. This is big because the theme of marriage works its way from Genesis to Revelation. Its modality is reaffirmed again and again, and the profundity of that sacrament is tied up in Christ's relationship to us, referencing as he does himself as the bridegroom, we the church as his bride. So this is more than just say yes to the dress. This has everything to do with making this absolute covenantal promise in the presence of a living God and witnesses are there to affirm what they saw. So we cannot reduce that and say that somehow uh, that modality has changed. So therefore, it, it, this is, again, the arguments of silence, that it's just it's it's a kind of a sloppy way to try to uh, defend your position. So it isn't a matter of God talking or Jesus talking directly about homosexuality. Rather, it's just constantly affirming the modality of marriage as one man and one woman. Talk to me about this. See, that's the point exactly, Janet. If marriage is a sacred primary doctrine, then deviation from the marital union is a primary moral issue as well. Mm -hmm. 
And just as you said, the standard is laid out in, I, I would say, the most sacred of ways, when something literally represents God's relationship to his people, as marriage in the Old Testament represents God's relationship to Israel, in the New Testament, certainly Christ's relationship to his church, then if you are distorting that particular doctrine, you're not just talking about immorality, you're talking about heresy. You know, 23 out of the 27 New Testament books specifically name and condemn sexual sin. That alone, just that sure volume, tells you that any deviation from what God intended for the marital sexual union becomes a primary doctrinal issue. In fact, the Mm -hmm. first time we ever see a case of church discipline, what's it over? This Mm -hmm. very issue, sexual immorality. And who Mm -hmm. was Paul the angriest at? The church. Exactly. Because he said to the Corinthians, what's the matter with you? You're just sitting on this like it's no big deal. Yeah, exactly. And you know, what's fascinating is that church history tells us that their sexual immorality was so well known that the accusation would be that you've become Corinthianized. I mean, they used it as a pejorative. That's how awful it was. So it's amazing. Uh, so this idea of the paradigm is non-negotiable. By the way, just for the record, Craig and I are working our way through the Book of Romans, this hefty, theologically rich book. And I got to tell you, there, there, there's no ambiguity in Romans 1. I mean, it's pretty straight. No. So the only thing that the people can do, like the Matthew Vines out there, will take it and try to contextualize it in a different way. Oh, well, that was then. This is now. And as long as they were monogamous same-sex relationships, it was okay. So it's all this eisegesis added to the Scripture mm-hmm. rather than letting the Scripture speak uh, to us. Uh, exegesis is the word for it, and letting it be crystal clear. So let me just do another quick word, and then I promise I'm going to take some calls. Um, And I'm so glad that I get to ask you this question, because again, this goes to the ethos as well as the pathos. You've got some people now who are making the declaration that if your attraction is for someone of the same sex, but you don't act on it, it's not a sin. Well, I, I, I personally have a hard time understanding that because the scripture says that sin starts in the heart. If a man looks with lust on another woman, he doesn't have to complete a sexual act with her. The Bible says the sin's committed because of the condition of the human heart. It's lust. How does that not transfer with people with same-sex attraction? Well, of course, there's no exemption put on that, and there's no contingency put on it. If you are having an attraction outside the will of God, whatever it may be, sexual or non-sexual, that is a sin. Now, I think because a lot of people are kind of getting their words mixed up, people feel like, well, the fact that somebody has the capacity to be attracted to the same sex, they shouldn't be held responsible for that. On that point, I would agree. I believe that that is a result of the sin nature. Mm -hmm. But as soon as you allow it to be an attraction, I had to go through this myself and I had to tease it out myself. When I repented, it was like, okay, Lord, I can't do anything about the fact that for whatever unfortunate reason, a particular temptation, vulnerable area in my life is homosexuality. I have the capacity to be attracted to the same sex. Help me to resist that, the temptations that may come with that. And what became clear to me was God was not holding me responsible for the fact that I still had an old nature I had to crucify, but he was holding me responsible to crucify it. Mm. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I could not allow myself to say, well, that attraction I'm having towards someone of the same sex is no big deal. Well, you, a heterosexual man is not given the pass of saying, well, I'm just attracted sexually to that woman I'm not married to. That's no big deal. Jesus said it's a very big deal. So no, there's no contingency in that. I, I think that in all fairness, a person can say that someone is what we would call an attractive person. 
without lusting after the person. There's a mm-hmm. difference between mm-hmm. desiring a person sexually versus just basically assessing, just like, I mean, for heaven's sake, I can assess if a house is beautiful or, you know, if a dog is beautiful. Right, right. But this is different. Yeah. Oh, thank you for that clarification. I appreciate it. All right, let me take a break. When we come back, I'm going to keep my word. I'm going to go to the phone so you get a chance to ask Joe Dallas your question on this topic. It's tough. It really is tough, but good. If it gets us on our knees, if it gets us in the word, if it gets us out of a 100 level to a 500 level Sunday school class, so we know what we believe and why we believe it. If we recognize that we've been placed here at such a time when this now is strutting about in the marketplace of ideas, then good, good, good. Make us faithful, make us obedient, make us kind. Teach us how to speak the truth in love. 877-548-3675. Back after this. As a Christian, how do you digest the cultural issues of our day? At In the Market, we believe that understanding happens when we bring biblical truth to expose the darkness in our world. That's what we do every day on In the Market. May I ask you to join us? When you become a partial partner, your monthly gift ensures this daily program continues. Become a partial partner today by calling 877-JANET58 or go to InTheMarketWithJanetPartial.org. Talking with Joe Dallas, Joe is just the perfect person to have a conversation with when it comes to negotiating this challenging topic of same-sex attraction, transgenderism, all the things that are making up the evening news on a regular basis. Joe's an author, a conference speaker, an ordained pastoral counselor. He's got a wonderful biblical counseling ministry in California. He's been doing that for years, by the way. Uh, He is a wonderful author. He's got a blog called Joe Dallas Online. And now he's got a resource that he's offering ministry leaders and pastors called The Challenge. It is a Zoom call once a month. It offers effective strategies in dealing with this particular issue. It'll be both Joe sharing information uh, uh, from his head and from his heart. And and we're not going to take time to have Joe tell his testimony again. But remember, he doesn't just come at this because he's trained theologically because he's committed his life to Jesus Christ. He's been there. He knows exactly what it's like. So it isn't just head knowledge, it's heart knowledge for him. So there's a real heft to what he has to say because he's not just speaking because he's read a bunch of books about it. This was the struggle in his own life as well. So pastors, ministry leaders, I commend it to you. It's called The Challenge. You can go on Joe Dallas's website for that. And that's easy to remember. It's just joedallas.com. Or I've got a link directly to the challenge on my info page as well. Now, keeping my word, back to the phones, 877-548-3675. Jean from Ohio, I welcome your question for Joe, please. Yes. I would like to know, what do you say to a person who says that they were born one gender, whether, you know, male or female, but now they're practicing homosexuality? I know, and I'm sure you know, that God is a perfect God, and he doesn't make mistakes. So if he, he, if he created you in the womb to be a female, what do you tell a person that says, well, no, even since I was born, I, I, as I grew, I knew that I was supposed to be a boy. Yeah. What would you say to a person that says that? Gene, thank you for that question, because a lot of us are hearing that question. If if I was born this way, doesn't that mean God made me that way? And that would make sense if we were not a fallen race. But if we go back to Genesis 3, we see that when the great tragedy happened that we call the fall, 
when Adam and Eve sinned and and thereby basically dropped a bomb on what what God intended, God said to them, the human experience is now going to contain all kinds of things that I never meant it to contain. You're going to die. Your body will corrupt. You'll have power struggles. You'll have problems with the environment. There are going to be many ills you will experience internally and externally that are not a part of my design. So we know, I mean, a lot of good research has been done, Gene, indicating that a lot of different conditions may have hormonal or genetic roots. I don't happen to think homosexuality is one of them. I really Mm -hmm. don't. And Mm -hmm. And there's been no verifiable evidence as we speak that homosexuality or transgenderism are inborn. But my argument would be, whether inborn or just very deeply ingrained from early in life, whatever the case, whatever the origin may be, we are an imperfect race and any number of abnormalities could have very deep roots that started early in life. I know mine did, Gene, and uh, I know that that's true of a lot of other people. But but the, the real issue becomes, um, what did our creator intend? And if that is what he intended, and my feelings are at odds, odds with what he intended, it is therefore in my best interest not to go with my feelings and to go with his intention. Because uh, what I've learned, maybe the hard way, is that when he says thou shalt not, it's not just because he's some cosmic bully. He knows what we are designed for and what is going to work the best for us. So when I repented of homosexuality in 1984, it was done as an act of obedience. Now, you know, 40 years later, I see it was one of the most self-serving things I ever did in the right way, I hope, <laughs> you know? So mm-hmm. that's what what I would say is the creator knows what he's doing. What matters is not so much what we feel inclined to do, but what were we intended to do and be. Gene, mm. thank you. So glad you've been a part of this conversation. Mike in Florida, your question, please, for Joe Dallas. Uh, yeah, I've got a, um, I've gone through a couple of studies with my wife about whether or not someone who is practicing homosexuality is saved. Um, and we disagree on that. Um, help, me, help me understand where we should be in this. Mike, if someone has been born again and is practicing homosexuality, I will say this much with certainty. They are in grave danger. Now, how's that going to play out? At this point, we don't know in their life because we don't know whether or not they will turn. In other words, a Christian can be saved and be completely wrong. We know that a Christian can be carnal, according to Paul, when he told the Corinthian church they were carnal, they walked more as natural people than as spiritual people. A Christian can be lukewarm or backslidden or deceived or in rebellion. Even the man who in Corinth was living in an openly incestuous relationship was not necessarily, according to Paul, unsaved because he called him a brother. However, there is a warning, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. Don't kid yourself. Those who practice these things, and homosexuality was included in that these things list, will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Ultimately, I believe that a person's salvation is in severe jeopardy if they continue unrepentant in a sexual sin. But when is that line crossed? You and I can't make that determination. Mm-hmm. What we can do is warn the person, you, if you have been born again, are in grave danger, flagrantly living out what God has prohibited. That we mm-hmm. can say with biblical integrity. Thank you, Mike. Dawn, I welcome you from Connecticut. Your question, please. Oh, yes, thank you. Um, uh, would you 
uphold the same standard to an unlawful marriage between a man and a woman. For instance, if a Christian is marrying an unbeliever, or if the two people were unlawfully divorced from their their first partners, and Jesus said they are adulterers, would you also not attend that type of a wedding? Can you help me through this morass a little bit? Don, thank you for that question. Did I get the name right, Don? Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, yes. Uh, Don, because so many believers are getting faced with that now. No, I don't believe that we should attend any wedding ceremony if we are not fully convinced that the union is uh, of the right kind of a union. Now, when I say the right kind of a union, yes, I would go to a wedding ceremony between two unsaved people because marriage is essentially a good thing. So I would celebrate that. However, if a Christian was marrying a non-Christian, that is biblically prohibited. If a Christian had unlawfully divorced his wife and was now marrying someone else, I would not attend. For the same reason, I would not attend a same-sex wedding ceremony. I believe that attendance at a wedding ceremony is a statement of affirmation. It's not just socializing. It's not just showing love. It is showing support for what is being celebrated. And if you can't, with integrity, support and celebrate the union, then I don't believe you should be there, regardless if it's heterosexual or uh, homosexual in Mm -hmm. nature. And Don, it's such a good question because... It really goes to the transcendence of this. Do we truly value and honor that paradigm of marriage as one man and one woman, as God instituted and defined it in his word? And there has to be consistency and continuity. Does there not, Joe, in our approach toward this? Now, you know, that's, again, a very good point. We cannot sit here, you know, talking about the sin of homosexuality and then wink at heterosexual immorality. we right. the, the Bible does not single that one sin out above other sexual sins. All of them are equally serious. Mm, thank you. Don, thanks for the question. 877-548-3675. Julian, Illinois, thank you for joining in your question. Hi, yes, thank you for taking my call. Mm-hmm. Um, I work in a public middle school, and my fellow believing teachers they wear shirts with our mascot on it in rainbow colors supporting the LGBTQ. Um, they tend to do announcements about pioneers in the LGBTQ movement. I want to know how I can lovingly confront uh, my fellow teachers about their support um, when they are believers. I know they'll probably say they think it's the loving thing to do, um, but what arguments can I present? I'm so glad you asked that, Julie, because I think one of the biggest uh, misconceptions we have about love these days is that love is primarily about affirmation, and it is not. If I love you, I will seek what is in your best interest. Love wants what is in the best interest of its object. And in this case, to say we love someone and then celebrate something which is not in their best interest That does not match the biblical definition of love. According to 1 Corinthians 13, love rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. And that is the scripture I would quote to your fellow teachers who profess to be believers. Because if they are wanting to show affection and respect to the gay and trans kids at the school, good for them. That's exactly what they should do. But if they are openly affirming and aligning themselves with the error that these kids are embracing, then they are not rejoicing in truth, which means, guess what? That's not love. Love rejoices in truth. 
Mm. Julie, thank you. Joe, in your personal journey, were you, was the Holy Spirit at work in your life convicting you without somebody telling you that this behavior was wrong or to take a, a person, another person to look you in the face and say, God has a better plan for you? It took both. The conviction mm. of the Holy Spirit working on me directly and working through people. That is why we cannot shy away from being used by the Holy Spirit, Janet, to speak the truth. That's why I asked the question, because I thought, wow, sometimes that just might be the most important loving thing they can hear. Julie, thank you. Let me take a break and come right back. 877-548-3675. Pastors, lay leaders, can I remind you again that Joe has a brand new resource out there that is so wonderfully timed. It's called The Challenge. You can get to it. It's once a month by Zoom. It'll give you strategies to negotiate these questions surrounding LGBTQ. And you can sign up, by the way. He just said how many countries have already signed up, how many hundreds of people have already signed up. What a tremendously timely and important resource for you. It's called The Challenge, joedallas.com. That's his website. Back after this. Wonderful conversation with Joe Dallas, author, conference speaker, ordained pastoral counselor. He directs a biblical counseling ministry for those who deal with sexual and relational problems. He's written multiple books. He's got a daily blog called Joe Dallas Online. It's fabulous, by the way. His website is joedallas.com, joedallas.com. And I am repeating that so that pastor and lay leader, you can sign up for the once a month Zoom call that Joe is now just starting that offers effective strategies in dealing with this in your ministry. And if it hasn't already shown up, it's going to show up. So how do we put in place God-honoring biblical principles in dealing with with what is a growing controversy? And as Joe noted earlier, you expect the world to just buy into this hook, line, and sinker, but you're seeing some real, I'm going to use Joe's word, reductionism in the church today, a kind of waffling, if you will, biblically on this particular topic. So uh, we need to be planted in the Word and then know how to deliver the Word in a loving fashion. And that's a challenge, but Joel will teach you how to do it beautifully. 877-548-3675. John in Washington State. Thanks for letting me drive along with you. We'll take your question, please. Yeah, my granddaughter is age uh, 23, 22, 23. Uh, lives in British Columbia. We live on the Colville Indian Reservation. Mm. Uh, she um, says she's a boy goes by a name, Skyler, and uh, uh, she's living with a, a boy who wants to be a girl, and and they are having sexual intercourse. Oh, I can't figure that out. But um, I don't know what to do. Uh, what, okay, here's what I've done so far. When I talk to her on the phone, uh, I'm just, I, I love her. I let her know I love her. Uh, but I don't confront her with it, I think, in time, very slowly. I may. I will. But uh, I'm not ready yet. And if, honestly, if I did, or if my wife did, uh, we would lose her. I know her well enough that she would cut us off. Then we'd have no contact. That's where I'm coming from. Yeah. Well, John, I guess my first question is where she is spiritually, because the, the, the whole conversation starts with God. Is there a God or is there not? Were we created by God? Did he create us with intention? Now, to someone who is a non-believer or a believer in a different God, 
you don't have the common uh, common belief in the authority of the Bible. Therefore, they're not going to be very interested in what Scripture does or does not say. But then you can go to a more natural discussion, which I believe is a logical one, which is simply, do you, do you believe that it is literally possible to change your sex, considering the fact that your DNA is always going to testify to the sex you were born? But then again, you have to also determine, has she given you permission to even talk about this? I mean, it, it sounds to me like you've got a tentative relationship with her and she may be drawing battle lines. But I would say this, if and when you feel that conscience compels you to ask her specifically if she is convinced that it is realistic to expect you can change your sex, if for that you lose her, my conviction is that you did not really have her. When a relationship is so faulty that we cannot be honest with each other about something as basic as that, then I don't think we have much of a relationship. It's not that we want to alienate people. John, we don't. I don't want you to be alienated from your granddaughter. I hope and pray that that will not happen. But I hope that fear of alienation will not keep you from speaking truth because there are times that, that the tension that comes with that kind of conversation can be very uncomfortable and even alienating, but tension is often the labor pain before rebirth. I hope you can remember that because it's an important point. If the Holy Spirit is convicting someone, we do not want to be working against the Holy Spirit by appeasing them when we should be speaking the truth. Mm. Now, when and how God will give you the wisdom to know when the right time is to speak the truth. But if you feel that nudge to speak it, I hope you won't shy away from it just because of the threat of alienation. Mm. John, thank you so much. I hope you're encouraged by that response. I appreciate your being with us. Pam in Indiana, thank you for stopping by. Your question, please. Yeah, thank you, Janet. Hi, Joe, and thank you for your ministry. I really appreciate it. Um, I have a grown daughter. She's married to her partner. Uh, they, they eloped because she knows that where our family stands very clearly on this issue. But, but we walk that line with love. You know, we do love her unconditionally. We don't approve of her lifestyle. And, and we've, we've told her that she came out in high school and we've told her that since day one. And so it's been a, a challenge. So now she's married and, and the person she married has a little girl and so I take my, my kids and grandkids, we, we go on vacation together probably once a year. We have one coming up in July, and uh, they, they just got married, you know, bought a house. I don't know, do I include them in the family vacations? Do I not include them in the family vacations? It's, it's a really um, tough line that we're all trying to walk in love, but also truth. God bless you. Pam, that is a tough one. Uh, let me kind of hit to the bottom line quickly. I do not see anything wrong or unbiblical in including lesbian or gay loved ones in family gatherings. My only conscience problem, if I were hosting a family event, would be hosting sleeping arrangements for someone in a sexual relationship outside of marriage. That would be the conscience problem for me that I would be wrestling with. Apart from that, I see no problem with it. So I think that that's what you'd have to figure out how you can negotiate the, uh, uh, the accommodations, basically. Can I ask a quick follow-up question, Pam, on your behalf? So how does Pam bring that subject up where she invites them in, they're welcome into the family in terms of enjoying the activities together, but uh, facilitating the sexual relationships, a different story. How do you handle that? 
Reiterate how much she means to you, how much you love her, her partner, and the child. Reiterate how much you want them to be involved in your family and relationships, but remind her that she knew where you stood before she ever came out. Please don't ask you to host something. Can you simply interact apart from the sleeping arrangements? That's mm. what I would go for. Wow. Pam, Tough thank one, you so much. Way. Oh, yeah. Wow. Absolutely. But, Joy, I was thinking this is exactly why I'm so excited about your new resource, The Challenge, because these are the kinds of questions that pastors and ministry leaders are going to get on a regular basis. And so it, it just it flowed out of you because you've been dealing with this for many years. But for many pastors, it's like, uh, I, I'm not sure how I do this. So can I just remind again, pastors, ministry leaders, it's a once a month Zoom call. It's called The Challenge. Joe breaks it up. It's one hour. There's going to be a half hour of Joe offering some insight and uh, counseling in this area and then questions the second half. And it's going to be, it's free. It's open to anybody who wants to be able to become a part of this. So check it out. You can sign up for the challenge at Joe's website, joedallas.com, joedallas.com. For the rest of us, remember Joe has a daily blog, Joe Dallas Online. So read it and you're going to get answers as you go along. Joe, great conversation. Thank you, brother. Thanks, friends. See you next time.